if you've sold knives, you've got five to 50 different examples of when you did unreasonable things. And being able to do those things gave me the confidence to say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. You realize all of these things that you learn in vector, all of those fundamental things that I was doing, all these vector skills, you can make people be great. You can have them have success. You could accomplish anything. That's kind of why you want to be associated with Cutco is they're just the right type of people with the right type of products that are doing the right types of things. If I can sell knives in people's homes and sell $6 million of it, I can do anything that I'm confronted with. That's the voice of Chris Oaks, an expert sales executive with over two decades of experience transforming sales processes to create successful results. The foundation for Chris's sales expertise came during his 12-year tenure with Cutco Vector, where he succeeded in both sales and management. Chris truly believes that everything is Cutco, and we'll dive into that concept during this conversation. Now more than 15 years after leaving the company, Chris is still well-connected and well-respected within the Cutco community. He's a wonderful testament to the success that Cutco creates in this world, and he's incredibly gracious and loyal to give so much credit for his success to his Cutco roots. If you're ready for a fun conversation, including a trip down memory lane, as well as tips for succeeding today, you are in the right spot. This is Chris Oaks. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. As it uh, comes to guests that I have been excited about having on the podcast ever since the outset of the podcast, this uh, is a gentleman who is at or near the top, Mr. Chris Oaks, who I got to work very closely with during his time in the Cutco Vector business. He worked with Cutco from 1993 to 2005 culminating in a role as the district manager in Berkeley, California, where I got to work very closely with Chris for a few years. And we had a lot of fun and a lot of great successes. Chris grew up in San Diego. He graduated from University of Houston. He also got his executive MBA from the prestigious program at UCLA. Uh, He has been a co-founder of several companies and also turned around a couple of others that were struggling. He understands sales and he understands entrepreneurship. Uh, He has had his own management consulting business. And today he is the vice president and head of sales for Factorial, which is a marketing automation software platform. Chris is one of the smartest guys I know. He's also one of the most fun guys I know. You're in for a treat in this podcast episode today. Chris Oaks, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much, DC. Let's kick this pig. Yes, let's do it. Uh, Take us back to 1993, Chris, and how did you get started with Cutco? Well, uh, I had just graduated from the University of Houston, go Cougs, with the oh-so-applicable degree in Spanish. And uh, yeah, so vamos a vender los cuchillos, mis hermanos, uh, yeah, tan finos. 
So uh, was living the lovely, I just graduated college life in San Diego. Um, I played golf a bunch. And so uh, my dad said, look, uh, you can't play golf. So you might want to get a job. Uh, looked through an actual physical newspaper, the San Diego Union Tribune, and saw this little tiny ad that said, uh, oh, God, I mean, I don't even know what it was back then. Uh, you know, 1175 base slash appointment sporting goods or something. And I thought, this is the best job ever. Called back then, we had a, a uh, an IVR, an interactive voice response recorder. Is that the right term? And and it said, come down to this direction and do something. And, and uh, so I was all excited because I was a college graduate and, uh, and showed up and Sid Jeff Coat. Sid. Um, <laughs> Sid's kids. If you were back in the early 90s, Sid's kids. We had the interview and Sid let me cut the rope. And I was still to this day genuinely impressed with, with how effing sharp those knives are, man. And... Uh, so I was kind of stoked at answering some questions and, and, uh, and he brought me back first, which obviously meant that he knew I was the best candidate and, uh, and, and said, Hey, I'd like to offer you the job. And I started July 3rd, 1993. Yeah. 1993. <laughs> that was, uh, uh, the year that one of the years that we were pioneering that sort of digital, answering system so it wasn't a human it was a machine that we recorded on and people would apply in person uh you drove down to the office and applied in person and so sid was the district manager there in the san diego area at the time and steve weber was the region manager for the for that region steve freaking weber if you've ever watched i mean there were vhs tapes i guess but whatever yeah steve weber he was our he was our zone manager, That's and right. if, I don't know if this will hurt your brain, but Steve Smith was our DVC. Oh, Steve Smith! That's <laughs> yeah. right, Steve Smith. Yeah, it's pre pre PJ Potter days. Pre PJ, I think was a sales rep in in Amar Dave's of a Livonia office at that point. <laughs> I think that's that's when it was. Yeah, yeah, something and, like that. That's right. Wow. Um, yeah. And so you had graduated from University of Houston before you started with Cutco. Correct. Graduated. Was doing uh, other things during the summer. Was working in surgery research at UC San Diego and, and doing some really interesting things and um, was kind of taking some post-baccalaureate classes at, at UCSD in organic chemistry. Love organic chemistry so much. I took it three times because uh, it was so much fun and was kind of waiting to take this sequence of classes and you know needed to get a job in between taking you know, one, one class and a couple of my friends who were in, in medical school at the time, which was kind of what my ultimate goal was. They talked to me about how much debt that they had in medical school. And I looked at my bank account and, and I said, wow, that's, that's contrasting. Maybe I had, and I had never taken a business class. I had never taken anything. My, my entire sales experience in, in uh, eighth grade, I sold lollipops and I sold so much that uh, the dean of boys called me in and 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 said that I needed to stop because I was distracting. I found out later the reason why I got called in is I was <laughs> I was moving so much money as an eighth grader they thought I was selling drugs because um, <laughs> I had a big overcoat with all these lollipops and you know seniors and juniors and high schoolers were coming up to me and it was just a lot of like hand exchanges and. And they, they thought I was a drug dealer. I was making like $200 a week as, as an eighth, as, you know, like a freaking 13 year old. Like I was, I was cranking and banking to, to use a phrase. <laughs> nice. Nice. That is so funny. So then you're, because you're out of school, you had a chance to advance pretty quickly up into management. You became a district manager. Um, yep. Also down there in the San Diego area, right? You're in La Mesa, the east side of San Diego originally, right? In La Mesa, so I had uh, so spent that first year sold sold pretty decent amount. The next summer, I uh, didn't wasn't doing branch training, 
I, Wes Goddard and I ran the San Diego County Fair, the Del Mar Fair, and we sold a crap ton of knives at the fair. We used a lot of Ed Reed, RIP, a lot of his training. We were selling knives left and right. And uh, for anybody who's old enough, we were, we were selling knives uh, at a home show right when OJ was driving a Bronco up and down the freeway. So we, we had our share of OJ jokes. <laughs> and I remember, <laughs> I remember the OJ jokes. I feel like there was a sequence of dumb knife jokes based on some real life occurrence that was like Jeffrey Dahmer and then OJ. And then it was like Lorena Bobbitt or something Lorena like Bobbitt. that. So yeah. people yeah. could look those people up if you want. Yeah, so I did that and then went through branch training with uh, Wes Goddard, a guy named Mike Skio. Oh, Mike Reed branched with our, our San Diego class in Riverside. Right. And, and so uh, I ran an office in, in La Mesa and uh, was the number one branch uh, in the San Diego division. Then was a district there for a couple years. Uh, Sid moved to Australia to be the Australia country manager the San Diego DM group was a, a bunch of misfit toys. And so they, they threw the, they threw the, the one riot, one ranger of PJ Potter into town. And PJ was our, was our DVM uh, for the next couple of years. And then was it, I think it was 98. Was it 98 when I, when I moved out to the Bay? Yeah, I think so. 98 or okay. 99. Yeah. I mean, December of 98. Yeah, because uh, we were trying to put together this the Christmas class. So then that started. That started the Berkeley uh, team. That was yeah, crazy. That's right. What do you feel like were some of your most memorable or favorite experiences on the job? Oh, okay, well, over twelve years, I could probably talk for twenty hours on it. But the thing that got me, like you know, Cutco's crack, like when, and also sales. There's something amazing about someone giving you money when you use words. Uh, it is fantastic. So I had a decent first weekend. Again, this is, everybody will laugh at it, but I sold like $770 my first weekend, uh, which I thought I was pretty much, uh, I should be president of the company at the point. But Eric Westmoreland sold like, I, I don't know if he got promoted, but... Uh, he beat me. And I was like, who is this clown? I'm a college graduate. This guy's like 16 years old, not illegal at the time. And I was like, I got to be number one. So Sid invited me to SC1 in Palm Springs with Steve Weber, people like Mega Ed Vega, Kerry Kruckmeyer, all of these just completely old school names. And they, they announced you know, the end of conference contest. And it was like, look, you can go have a grand day on the Monday after the conference. Uh, you want to, you, you know, you want a prize. And, and, and I learned the trading special. I had like four demos booked up. I was stoked. I'm like, I'm going to have a freaking grand day. So uh, closed it, like sold a couple sets, sold them on trade in. And I won the most valuable thing ever distributed in the history of Cutco. And that is. The vectorized, the vectorized up knife selling machine T-shirt, uh -oh. and I yes. was hooked. I'm like, I'm selling knives until the wheels fall off. This, yes. Um, Obviously, the podcast is audio. Chris has the vectorized T-shirt on with the vectorized words and fire coming off of it, and on the back it says "One fired up knife selling machine." I remember those shirts. Those were awesome. That's what FSM stands for. And, right. uh, and, and I'm like, you know, you learn something, you applied something, you had success with it. And it was like, holy crap, I can do this. So that was awesome. That was, that was the first thing where I'm like, this is something I'm going to do and I'm going to do it well. And then, so as top branch, you get promoted. Uh, you have the uh, Strategic Leadership Conference, and this was back in 1995. And the Western region, not the Bruce Goodman Western region, this was Steve Weber's Western Zone. We kind of got, you know, I mean, look, I love everybody. We kind of got dumped on and didn't have a lot of respect 
in in the company way back then. And respect is earned, and and we weren't doing anything to earn it, so it's appropriate. And uh, I remember I was in Carl Hemisap's office, my dentist, because we're West Coast, and they had this announcement, and it was this contest for recruiting for DMs. And um, and I'm on my like Motorola 550 flip phone at a dollar a minute, learning about you know this contest, and it was a recruiting contest for ten thousand dollars. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I've got to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. And I told my dentist, like, I'm going to win $10,000. And San Diego State, go Aztecs, they start right at that time. And it was like, let's go recruit people. And this was, uh, you know, again, like 1995. And we had this in the Anatole. I forgot if it's a Weston, but the Anatole in Dallas. And, you know, I had like 35 recruits. Dan Andrew was like 32, or I had the most recruits out of this three week period. And so they were doing this drawing, and it was like Dan Andrews, Mike Glimpse, and me were, you know, like your name had to be drawn three times. And so we had, uh, we had with that Joe Grushkin, who was a national sales manager of Canada, was pulling names out. And everybody sat down, and it was me. And Mike Glimpse, and he, and so there were you know there were two things, and and uh, and and he's like we've got a winner, and then he said Mike Glimpse come stand next to me, and Mike Glimpse was running Phoenix office, he's you know, he's kicking ass and taking names, and I remember him pulling over Mike Glimpse, and he's like, hey Mike, guess what? And this is the first time they'd ever given it away, so no one knew, no one knew any of the the things for it, and he's like. He's like, hey, Mike. He's like, yeah. And he just says in the microphone, he's like, Chris Oaks just won $10,000. Mike just, he's like, he's so mad. And, and I'm like falling on the floor. I'm like, it's $10,000. This was back in the 90s. $10,000 actually met something. And uh, <laughs> like, that was crazy. And what was great was, I remember, I think this is her maiden name, Lori Zager. Mm-hmm. Is that a Cherry Hill or something like that? I mean, look, this is 15 years ago. No, crap. 35 years ago. 25. Jesus. Whew, old, 25. Yeah, I am. This is old. And like people that I saw in the report came up and they're like, holy crap, this is awesome. And Lori Zager was crushing it back then. And all these, you know, I think Wasserman was like, everybody's like, these guys, you know, congratulations. And Weber comes up to me and he's like, hey, way to make a name for the Western zone. And it was like, you know, this is awesome. So that was, that was the second thing. And then Kind of the third thing that I would say is is most memorable is just when we moved to the Bay and, uh, you know, I'll throw vectorisms all over the place. Like, you know, the mind is plastic, not elastic. Once stretched, it never goes into an initial dimension. And I remember when I was looking to, to move, I wanted to break out of San Diego just from a, like growing up in San Diego, you've got to expand your horizons and not be the guy that lives in San Diego for you know forever. And uh, I remember I was looking and, and I had fantastic choices. I could go work with you know with Scotty Dennis uh, out in Florida or DC up in the Yay. And it was like, yeah, you know, this would be cool. Here's a chance to work in, in, in Berkeley. And kudos to uh, to Dan Cassetta who just you know expands your thinking and is like what about a $100,000 push period? And it was like, eh, no, you know, I'm the guy from like in, in the Western zone. If you did, I mean, I think if you did, like I remember Josh Levine did 40 K as a branch our year in, in, uh, in 1995. And he was the number one office. I think mega Vega did like 50 K pushes or something, but it was just this expanded thinking. And, the first time, you know, the Berkeley team did a hundred thousand dollars. And I say first time, because then it was just like, well, fuck man, we're going to go do hundred K's every time. That's, that's you, you did not not do hundred K push periods. And, uh, you know, we had back then Berkeley was, um, we got people to, to hit above their weight class and we just made them believe. And that was the, 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 the kind of the third takeaway of like vector excitement of getting people to believe more than they believed in themselves and getting that to, you know, to, to translate and execute into performance. And that 
for myself of like, look, Chris, you can do anything that you want to, and you can help other people do that same thing. So what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. Good, good stories. Good stories for sure. Um, you shared a few uh, valuable lessons in there. Uh, the concept of our mind being like plastic, not elastic, that once it's stretched, it stays stretched. And the idea of how belief ties into performance. What other lessons do you feel stand out from your experience that you've continued to apply in your life up until now? Good question. Let me take a quick drink. Dude, the Cutco mug with the universal wedge lock handle oh my god you have all the relics chris i'm I'm, i mean look we are relics daniel j cassetta so i (laughs) found some old things so i mean it there are a a bunch of things one i think from the very beginning and and when i got off my initial names list and i i used this example last week talking with some with some people was you know the vector you know skills for life and and so it was learning and it was really like treating sales not as like something to do until it was this is your career i love science i and i love organic chemistry uh, again and sales is a process and so you have like the objection cycle and learning that and applying it uh, just comes into it comes into mind but then also to reference the other Jim Rome of just scoreboard. And it was like, look, you either sold the knives or you didn't. And I think people need to, and it's not a bad thing if you didn't. There's something to learn from it. Really find, not solace, but find, throw a Scrabble word out there, of finding something that lets you know that it's okay that you failed because you're going to learn from it. The Germans probably have a word for it uh, that that says it perfectly, but it really is like it's okay not to succeed. It's just what you do in place of that. My first mm-hmm. no sale, uh, I had probably gone like eight or eight of twelve, twelve or something, and I saw somebody that I didn't know and they didn't buy, and I'm like, what a bunch of freaking assholes! They didn't buy this stupid. And Sid's like, do you want? You know, I'm like they said this, and he's like, okay, well do you never want that to happen again? I'm like, of course, no say, not selling sucks versus selling. And he kind of told me some things and, and wrote it down. And, and, and then it wasn't just being taught it, it was applying it. So are you doing the things that you're doing? And then, uh, you know, a great PJ one of uh, two things, you know, performance measured, performance improved. I do this now at my job. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, excuses are the nails that build your house of failure. If you, mm-hmm. if you don't succeed and you, and you use that, you use something as the reason why you didn't succeed versus, Hey man, I, I sucked on that. Like, okay, great. And, and coming from an athletic background, uh, whether it was you know, high school sports, college sports, competing, uh, you know, competing in triathlon, like afterwards is, I coined, you can't fake training and you either are training and getting better for it or you're not. And then the other one that we had in the Berkeley office was um, the difference between performance and uh, the difference between greatness and mediocrity is not apparent to the average person. And when you really kind of unpack the layers on that is like, you, you see someone who does great back then it was Michael Jordan. Now it's LeBron. And you're like, oh my God, that guy's like so great. It's like, well, if you don't understand why they're being great, you're never going to be great. So be a student, understand why Michael Jordan's fantastic. Understand why LeBron is great. Understand why, uh, shout out Danny Garrido, shout out Deanna Scortino, why those people are doing great things to have great success. And it's like, well, you know, learn from it. John Berghoff, I mean, heck, just why was that guy more incredible than everybody else? And never discounting anything of what John Berghoff did, but he didn't do anything that anyone couldn't do. Mm-hmm. He just did it better and he did it more. So now all you have to do to have the level of success that they do is do everything that they do, do what they taught you and do it the same amount and do it as much as they do. Mm. 
Uh, so many good little nuggets in here. I love where you talked about the importance of the scoreboard and being able to recognize how results are indicative of a lot about us. They're indicative of our skill level or our effort level or some combination of both of those things, our mindset or attitude, right? And you talked about, you know, knowing what to do when you don't succeed. I think that, you know, people have to be able to develop an awareness of places where they need to be able to improve. And when there's a scoreboard, it's easy to do that. It's not always easy to do that in life, but that's important, that awareness. And then after developing that awareness, understanding what to actually do, how to turn that around. And I know that, you know, you've been able to build successful businesses through challenges, both in vector and out of vector. And you have had a couple situations where you've turned around a struggling operation. So you, you get how to recognize what's working, what's not working, how to diagnose problems or opportunities, and then what to do about it. I would love to ha have you share with the audience some of the highs and lows of your business experiences after Cutco. Within a short period of time, I got a job in uh, email marketing, digital uh, deliverability and analytics, the most opposite thing from Cutco. So started out with you know this company called Return Path. And it was like, well, the only thing I know is how to work hard and how to follow a process and how to do things that are repetitive. I was learning about digital. I was learning about email, like literally just binary things like here's how programming works. And then that translated into uh, you know, a couple of sales built up process there. I got hired for an organic food company, which was the opposite of email and digital. Like we're selling literally nuts, berries, and chocolate. And and uh, I remember one end of the month, uh, you know, welcome to startup life. We were about to miss payroll. And when you've got twenty five people, and you're like, we might not be able to pay people again. Way back in the early '90s, you've got to write your, you know, receptionist check, <laughs> and it's like, don't cash this on a Friday. So, but we were going to miss payroll, and the CFO told me, like, you know, we need to generate fifty plus thousand dollars of sales in the next three days. And when you just have this singular focus of it's not just yourself, you know, who cares if I didn't get paid? But there were, you know, two dozen people who were relying on me to get paid, to pay their bills and all this stuff like that. They were losing $100,000 a month in revenue. Just And you know the company was about to shutter. And so they brought me in. It took me about two months. And it was the biggest thing. There wasn't necessarily anything technical about it. It was just creating these personal relationships again with the buyers, Whole Foods, you know, Sprouts Market, uh, people that were buying on the bulk side. And we sold Earth Fair. Uh, a $25,000 order, which was the largest single sale in the history of our company. And we sold them a product that we had not created yet because I said we could. And I just took this back to our CEO and our operations guy. And I said, Hey, I just sold a whole bunch of trail mix and we don't have trail mix. So we had, we had to create it. And it was like, look, you guys, you're either going to succeed uh, or we're not. Like I am either a salesperson, rainmaker, or this is going to be one of the shortest jobs I ever had. And we went back and we developed two trail mixes. We got the order delivered. When they came to pick it up, we were still packing and sealing this thing for this order. And they had told <laughs> us, if it's not ready, we're going to cancel this. We had built out a new kitchen. We had gone through all this requirements. And so our, our dock manager told the guy, she gave him like $10 Cause he was, you know, he's right on time. She's like, there's a Starbucks right down there. Go buy a coffee and come back. And he's like, okay, cool. I need a coffee. And we were taping it up, palletizing it. And when he came back the second time, we're like, here we are. And we turned around and looked and we literally had, you know, all two dozen people. Like the president of our company was stuffing goji berries into a bag and sealing them. And it was just me telling everybody like, look, we'll do this. There's no way we're not going to be able to do this. This is that, you know, 100K push. Once you start doing these little things, it's amazing. You know, you can always look back on it and go, well, I had success doing this and doing this and doing this. And 
for, for people that might, well, I'm not really sure I can do it. It's like, stop, find, everybody has this. If you've sold knives, you have. You've got five to 50 different examples of when you did unreasonable things. Mm-hmm. And use that to say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Being able to do those things gave me the confidence to say any challenge that I got faced, as long as I either had technical skills or the resources of people to be able to help me through that, like you could accomplish anything. And so it's different companies. And, you know, again, you're selling knives in people's homes. As I've said a gajillion times, if I can sell knives in people's homes and sell $6 million of it, I can do anything that that I'm confronted with. I love what you just said about, you know, how somebody who's successful at Cutco has five to 50 different examples of having done unreasonable things. It's such a cool confidence builder for anybody who might be listening that has had some good success experiences, knowing that they can take it on to bigger and better things, whether in Cutco or later on in someplace else. What was another uh, successful example of a build or rebuild that you experienced? The organic food one was great. Uh, what uh, at two fifty okay, which was another email uh, deliverability analytics company, was actually a competitor of Return Path. Uh, so I went from doing one thing to the competitor. Uh, it would be the equivalent of going from Hinkles to Cutco or Cutco to Hinkles type thing. And I uh, I was hired by uh, a scrappy kid named Jeff Hansen. And Jeff Hansen, I had hired him as a high school grad out of El Capitan when I was in the La Mesa office. They were having some struggles and we, we built like this process, like here's what we need to do to compete against this you know, behemoth of our previous company. And, uh, you know, like just it, it is an example of that kind of stretch thinking is I think our typical sales deal was like $8,000. And, you know, mine was like 40 or $41,000. Cause I'm like, shit, let's just charge them up. Like does value build and value sell. So we got this, you know, going from just, you know, one or $2 million a year. I think by the time Jeff and I left, we were, you know, we were well over five or 6 million. And, you know, that company got purchased, uh, I think within a year, uh, after, you know, after we had left and, and I had gone on to some other things, but it was like, here's kind of a company that's trying to find its way. And it's like, well, look, the only thing that we know how to do is sell and and build this process and do these things that are replicable and scalable. And now you just, you know, add, add more more fuel to that process. And, and then it's kind of related to this. So the company that I'm working for now is a marketing automation platform. And, and we're in a space with probably like four or five dozen competitors but nonetheless, it was like, well, I'm not freaking afraid of any challenge to do something. And, and how do you get in there? And how do you make a name for yourself? So uh, marketing automation, is it's been around for a, a kind of a reasonable bit of time. And, and there are just giants in the space, Adobe, uh, Marketos, you know, Salesforce, Oracle has some platforms. And then things kind of down market, like a MailChimp or a, a, a SherpSpring or um, even just a constant contact. And about a year and a half ago, saw this, this posting and, and it was email and technology and all the things that just really get me excited. Uh, if it's not apparent that I get excited about things and we are building a product from scratch and that most of the competitors of these legacy systems that are not innovative. It's not like Salesforce can roll out a new product, uh, within, you know, two weeks. Uh, they just, and good job, Benny off. I appreciate it. You just go buy Slack for a couple billion dollars, or you go buy somebody else for a couple billion dollars, and that's uh, what they do. Where with us, it's look, I've spoken with 20 different customers. This is what they're asking for. We need to be able to create something like this. And you're getting that kind of instantaneous feedback and you're getting that support. So we're finding this space. Uh, that's kind of down market. So you've got companies, and I know it sounds strange, but if you're under 200 or $300 million, you might not have the budget to spend a million dollars a year 
with a marketing platform if you're a you know $25 million company, but you also can't spend $1,000 a month and expect to get this high level of enterprise grade. So because we're part of this $20 billion global company, we put all these super smart people together to build this amazing enterprise level platform. And we have NFL teams that are using it. But if you're a smaller company and you say, well, I I want the enterprise level, but I don't need the enterprise price. For us, that's our sweet spot. So, you know, you've got this budget of, you know, 10, 15, 30,000, $50,000 for the year. And most other companies, when they're doing the Hinkle's comparison, and hey, Dan, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to price fine marketing automation solutions, but you've got a wide range of quality and prices available. You can buy a cross pen for $49 or a you know, big pen for 49 cents. So when we're doing our price comparison and we, and we come to the presenting price stage, we had one person where you know, it's like, look, it's going to be like 35 grand. And they're like, oh, we're spending $85,000 with XYZ person. And now you're not just having someone buy a platform. You're having someone get exactly what they want and their tangible savings of you know $50,000, $20,000, $10,000. And with what's going on right now with this stupid pandemic thing, that's hard dollars that businesses have to find a way to save. So like we, you know, one company we saved them, you know, literally $250,000 in hard costs. And that's, you know, that's two that's two people's jobs that they don't have to eliminate. So much like in Cutco, you know, you're you're cha- you're changing lives by selling knives. Little plug there for you. But what we're also doing is when companies say, "Hey, we need to cut 15 or 25% of budget." It's like we can save you budget on technology, not on your people. And now you can keep those people. And, and that's kind of a, a, a pretty stoked thing if you can you know, help companies not have to let people go right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very cool. I, I know that uh, we have talked about uh, and you've shared the concept that you believe in that you call everything is Cutco. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about what that means. It's been 15 years since I dragged out the old sample kit and uh, had to pull out. I mean, how's that for a cutting board, Dan Cassetta? <laughs> you know, since I've actually had to, to ask for references uh, on people. And what's amazing is, oh, you can. This has got all the old relics of his Cutco days here coming out of his blue sample kit bag. Old order form. Oh my God. This one was for a table knife and a trimmer. My first sale was to Katie Green for $53. And then the next one was for a petite carver and a, uh, and a, what's a 1720 um, paring knife. That was a 96 or, yeah, $96 order. So I was obviously crushing and again, well on my way to replacing John Welpley as uh, the most valuable person in the organization. Um, (laughs) But what, uh, you know, what that's kind of really come down to is that like, as we're looking at things, everything is cut code, the processes, and I've sold, you know, deals worth millions of dollars. And they still have the common thread of Don Frieda's seven steps to a sale. These are the things that you have to do. In the MBA program at UCLA, I mean, it was a top five program that I went to. And I graduated with, uh, humble brag, with more credits than anyone in the history of UCLA Anderson ever. I had so many credits graduating that I got a stop on my account because they're like, you have too many credits to graduate. So we, so I have like 12 credits towards a PhD. And if I would have done it right, I would have been like one year into a PhD. And I say that uh, not to impress anyone, but to impress upon those listening that like all of those fundamental things that I was doing, the work hard, the communicate with people, the you know help people, I, I still think of, uh, of what I do as a manager. And, and I think in my DM period, I, I've shaken hands with over 10,000 applicants and even now we're we're taking applicants. We have 125 applicants for us for a single sales job, and 
I can't be the person that makes the final decision on that because I always try to find a way of saying, I can make this person great. And when you're hiring one person and paying them a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, give me anybody and I'll, and I'll, and I can teach someone, uh, you know, look, Berkeley brings the wood. I taught people in Oakland how to sell knives and, and it worked. I can teach anybody how to do anything. So for me, all these vector skills, you can make people be great. You can have them have success. And then just from an application standpoint of like, how do you talk to people that you don't know? How do you get out of a speeding ticket? How do you get people to you know find the product that you don't want when you're selling software as a service? It's like, look, here's what we need the customer to think. We need them to understand that what they're using right now, while it's serviceable, isn't what it needs to be. Junk knife. Mm-hmm. Cut the rope. And they need to like you. The first sale that I had at, at, uh, at my, at the most recent previous job was for, um, you know, was for core power yoga. And we were competing against our, our old company. And she says, you know, we went with you and it was Chris and Jeff. So we were doing this together. It's like, you know, uh, we went with you guys because you were the nicest people that we spoke with. So first build rapport, like the rapport was built. Another deal that I, I did, it was, uh, it was the, at the time, the, the largest deal that wasn't a, a channel partnership. So like the largest single sale that was, was happening, we were competing against, you know, the other company. And I think I've been out of it long enough where my non-compete doesn't matter. It was for Toyota and went and met with them. And it was St. Patrick's day and we were doing Jameson shots because it was an, an agency. And she goes, look, uh, you know, the other company you guys were so much cooler than they were. And, and you realize like all of these things that you learn in vector people buy because they like you, people will find a way not to buy if they don't like you. And even now, like, you know, with my current company, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out ways to do certain things. And I just hearken back to like, well, how would we have done this if this was a Cutco problem? And you know, once you understand the why, the how reveals itself. Mm-hmm. And it was like, cool, you know, this is, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, Cutco is, you know, I was 12 years, $6 million, but man, I've sold uh, more other things than Cutco dollars. And, and just on the personal sales side, like, uh, you know, it's, you, you've to, again, not to sound super pretentious, but I've made a lot of money after Cutco because of what I learned in Cutco. Mm. That's awesome to hear. I'm grateful for you to share that. Just the idea of rapport building, uh, the common threads of the sales process, the, the, the confidence building that goes on and being able to teach people how to succeed at anything. Um, so many good things. And you're well connected into the Cutco community now, even 15 years after you have left. <laughs> what What is it about the Cutco culture that's so special that you think that people could, could figure out a way to build in whatever they're doing right now? What is it that, you know, makes it so cool? First and foremost, it's, it's the product. And, you know, you get like cool little pocket knives, which you used yesterday. You've got... I keep these by my desk because we get so many Amazon packages at the house. It's like, well, let's just you know rip this open using this stuff. People, products, programs. You have fantastic people that you're working with, and you know, I mean, I I couldn't even tell you, Dan, the last time that we physically saw each other. But I'm sure if we if we saw each, it'd be like, hey, how's it going? And and there wouldn't be any gap. You know, same thing with Bruce. I mean, I've I've dealt with dozens of CEOs directly. I chatted with people who run billion dollar companies. And it's like, I'd stack Bruce up against it uh, in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, people like you, freaking, you know, Earl Kelly, people that you meet and you talk with, and then you meet other people and you go, they're not as impressive. And Cutco continues to, to develop people and you want to surround yourself with people who you want to be uh, or be like. And then again, kind of the program of like, you've done something that's successful. And when you have success, you want to continue to do that. 
that's kind of why you want to be associated with Cutco is they're just the right type of people with the right type of products that are doing the right types of things. And you've just got integrity and you've got people that do things when they say they're going to do something. And you're like, why wouldn't you want to hang out with them Mm. or be part of them or talk trash on a Facebook page with them? (laughs) Indeed. I see a lot of that going on. Um, And it's fun. It's fun. And it's fun to have you as a part of the community, uh, even to this day, because you're one of those same kinds of people who, you know, has just a lot of high quality traits and aspects about you. And so it's, uh, it's fun just to to be able to interact in this manner. Got to get another ad in there. I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't have this. So you talked about my consulting company. This was, okay, Facebook popped up on it. It probably was five years ago. I was selling software in the Finger Lakes region of New York, and I had to drive to Rochester. I had two choices. One was to drive the overland route, and one was to drive through the nestled in the Allegheny foothills. Route. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck it, let's go to Olean. So drove through to Olean, stayed in whatever Olean in there was, went to third base, Props to Deb Zmed, who was working there and made the most bomb-ass chicken wings for me. But the next day, popped into, I, am I getting it right, 322 Houghton Avenue or whatever it was, and 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 walked in and saw Tammy uh, Cummins-York and and saw Rambo Pambo Bailey and, and Sandy Sherman, and then saw Stu Smith and... As if you ever want something to say, you know what, you made the right choice of working for this company. Stu Smith, when he said hello in his extremely enthusiastic tone, which is sarcasm for those who, who don't know me, says, Chris Oaks, 75119999, which was my rep number at the time. <laughs> Stu Smith had probably not seen me in, in easily 20 years. And it was like, that's the type of people that, you know, that work there. I, I had a chance to, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I won't tear up, uh, but, you know, RIP Eric and, and had a chance to see Eric Lane uh, for just a hot minute, you know, back then. And it was like, this is the guy that allowed literally every single person that is, that knows you, that knows that, like literally millions of people that this guy allowed to be successful with. And it's like, how can you not want to be associated with those people? Yeah. So cool. Thanks for the story. I like it. Well, hey, Chris, you know, our podcast theme is changing lives. And as you look into your own future, how would you aspire to change people's lives through what you do? I am all about personal growth and don't let excuses stop you from doing things. And so when you think of changing lives, that's how Cutco has changed my life. I'm I'm not going to let Wes Goddard beat me for a push period, let alone you know, the, the campaign, I'm not going to let, uh, I remember when I beat PJ, uh, for the, you know, first push period and it was like, you know, haha DVM, you know, we kicked your ass. Uh, but it's not, you know, not going to let these types of things beat me. And it's taking that and instilling it in other people. Like, look, don't let anyone defeat your goals of what you want to be able to do. If we want to sell knives, great, go sell a shit ton of knives. You want to learn enough here to go be uh, Andrew Bosworth and run Facebook? Like, go be that guy. You want to be uh, somebody else that has this incredible level of, you know, Jen Ersevong, who was like reporting to the person who reported to the CEO of, of Cox overall and is flying on like the company jets. Like, never let anyone take your dream of what you want to be able to do. And if you can teach someone, to never let them win in all of these other things that like, this is your process of success. Then you're not just changing lives. You're empowering people to change their own lives. Awesome. Well, Hey man, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed uh, reminiscing <laughs> and hearing the stories and good lessons. And so thanks a lot for participating in the podcast, Chris. You are most welcome. Daniel Cassetta. All right. <laughs> Chris Oaks, everyone, everything is Cutco. Yes, uh, loved hearing Chris's stories and lessons, the connections 
that he established during his time in the business and a lot of the people and relationships that he rattled off and talked about, the lessons that were learned, that sales is a process. It can be like a science. Uh, many aspects of it are definitely, that definitely applies the scoreboard mentality uh, to use for self-awareness. And then, of course, what to do when you don't succeed, the things that he has learned about how to create success in a business, uh, people, products, and programs. He summed up the Cutco culture with those three words, people, products, and programs. Just cool to think about how we could apply those three words, those three concepts in our current teams, whether in Cutco or outside of Cutco attracting and developing the right people, making sure we're representing a product uh, that is worth our time and our energy, and then, of course, bringing successful programs to help create the results that we want. I love where Chris said, you know, if you've been successful in Cutco, you've got five to 50 unreasonable things that you've already done in your career and being able to use those things to build confidence. And as leaders, empowering people to be able to change their own lives, giving people the tools, the lessons, the mindset, the skills to be able to do that. That's really what this podcast is all about. That's what I feel like I want to be all about in my life as well. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Chris Oaks today. That was a lot of fun. I really love hearing all the entrepreneurial journeys of people with past Cutco experience. One of the company's most legendary alums is Mark Lovis, who has recently launched his own passion project called Good Weather Wine to bring people great natural wines at good prices. All their wines are sugar-free, low in sulfites, and with no additives. If you like wine, but you sometimes get a headache from drinking it, you need to try Good Weather Wine. You can get a monthly shipment of 3, 6, or 12 bottles, and they'll make it super easy by making the selections for you based on your preferences. So it's like having your own wine buyer help you pick. Check out goodweatherwine.com to get started. And if you enter the discount code CLSK when you check out, you'll get free shipping on your order as a thank you from Mark Lovis himself. Visit goodweatherwine.com to get started. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.